to me, as long as the quality of life is there, uh, I, I love life and I, I think it's a priceless experience. I'm thankful for every day I get, but I do want more and I'm not embarrassed to do whatever it takes. We can change the outcomes that are coming down the road. We can make a difference for almost everybody we see. Uh, we can certainly improve the quality of their health. And I believe in so doing, we will extend their lifespans meaningfully. Modern science has finally tied together the way in which getting leaner and improving longevity and health supplements might make getting to both easier. With me now with some answers is a real doctor who treats real patients and has developed several all-natural remedies to fight the effects of aging, enhance your memory, and even give a much-needed boost to your energy levels. With us to tell us about these cutting-edge formulas is Dr. Dave himself. It's Dr. Dave Wonorowski. Uh, Dr. Dave Wonorowski, also known as Dr. Dave. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Dave. Dr. Dave Unleashed. Disclaimer, we have to be very, very careful about what we say. You alone, the listener, must assume all liability and responsibility for use, misuse, or disuse of this information, non-use of this information. None of the information here is for anything but entertainment and educational purposes. It is not meant to treat, mitigate, diagnose, or in any way affect any disease. Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Dave Winorowski from www.thelongevityedge.com with another amazing podcast. And today's guest is a, is a, a phenomenal addition to our knowledge base. Uh, uh, this is Dr. Lisa Petray that I have on the other uh, end of the line today, and uh, she's going to enlighten us with some help on how she stays amazingly trim fit and and uh, her take on diet she is a board certified cardiologist she is also a bariatric physician runs several clinics in um, new york city and is an amazing entrepreneur and an extremely bright woman and they always say uh, also an extremely beautiful woman and they always say that um, great minds think alike and so i met dr petray when i was uh, doing the telomere circuit so to speak which I still do from time to time. And then um, each of us sort of dabbled and dove into the keto. And Lisa came out of it as a, a bariatric physician. I came out of it as a typical internet entrepreneur. So at any rate, uh, the, the information you're gonna get today is stuff you can't get anywhere else. It's gonna be, I've asked Lisa to go a little personal with me today and tell me what she does. So uh, I'm gonna ask her to tell you a little bit about herself, anything that I left out um and then uh i'll launch into some questions that i've specially prepared uh for lisa and uh we'll uh, we'll take it from there and, and see what comes out this is always fun to talk to you lisa thanks so much for being here yes dave great to chat with you we go way back we started we actually eight years ago with the telomer uh, project we are both fascinated by that and then, am. Uh, a, yeah. a few years later we started the keto movement uh, we we jumped on it and we were both again fascinated how that can actually improve your metabolism and how uh, we understand better the functioning of uh, our metabolism and energy and brain mm -hmm. function and uh, years later, we, uh, I mean, I've been fascinated for the last three years with intermittent fasting, which is another step forward 
in yep. understanding uh, our biology. So definitely intermittent fasting is for me as fascinating as keto because I do think they complement, they feed into each other, right? Uh, intermittent fasting, it's uh, the way I see it, it's just basically uh, training your body for uh, endurance towards stress because mm -hmm. you switch your metabolism back and forth between... Uh, um, it, it's more like a, inducing uh, ketosis faster but when you eat it you still have some small amount of carbs so it's not such an intense ketosis versus when you fast for a long period of time and mm -hmm. I think it's really beneficial to be able to switch back and forth metabolisms from uh, um, burning just on fat or so and sometimes having a little bit of uh, carbohydrates metabolism. I agree 100%. And actually, uh, the book I was showing you that's about to be released, The Keto Edge, it talks about that. And, uh, you know, the little dirty secret to share with you is when people come to me and say, you know, I can't do keto, or I don't want to do keto, or I don't believe in keto, I tell them to intermittent fast because I think that you can get a lot of what keto gives you out of fasting, out of intermittent fasting. And, you know, essentially what we're trying to do metabolically is take out the trash. And you mentioned stress, um, and so this kind of there's there's so much you know uh, cohesion in this thought about stress, and way back to Hans Sele, the German physiologist, who basically said your body can pretty much adapt to anything if you give it in small doses, and uh, you know intermittent fasting is sort of the small dose way of getting your body to adapt uh, to the absence of food and changing your metabolism and cleaning out your mitochondria and your cellular junk. And this is how we this is um, how we lived when our genes and epigenes were designed, you know, 50,000 to 2 million years ago. This is this is the way uh, everything we have genetically, nutritionally now comes from that time when we were fasting of needs because there wasn't food around all the time. And, you know, the keto thing, if you, if you caught a deer and ate it and it was fat and protein, uh, it was a lot more nutrition than eating a, bear, a bunch of berries. So uh, our, our ancestors did exactly that. We still have the genetics and much of the epigenetics for that. So I couldn't agree with you more. For those who do not want to do keto, uh, intermittent fasting is a great way to go. So tell me about your versions of intermittent fasting. How long, how much, and what's your window for eating, that kind of thing. There are three uh, main options to do intermittent fasting. One, if you do it on a daily basis, the 8 to 16 method. And if you are more adventurous, you can go to 6 to uh, 18, more aggressive, just have a six hour of eating uh, mm -hmm. in a daily period. It's much easier to do the fasting in a nighttime. Uh, also, you can do, you can fast uh, two days a week, which is cutting 25% of calories to non-consecutive days. Or mm -hmm. also you can do alternate day fasting when one day you eat normally and one you cut in a half. However, even you way you do it the most sustainable i still think it's the daily method and as you said you're right we haven't evolved much genetically from thousands of years ago however our diets have been hijacked with the agricultural revolution and all the grains and everything else but we remain pretty much the same genetically so returning to that and understanding that yes fasting is like a detox phase exactly what you said the cells um, can clean the brain uh, cells can uh, clean as well mm -hmm. and uh, it's important to allow it, uh, um, ourselves this time of recovery and also it speeds up your metabolism you know that and yep. second has anti-aging benefits people live longer uh, that has been shown in animal models 
and also um, uh, it's uh, protecting brain function. It, it allows, it's actually um, used as a method for all this, uh, they are considered no metabolic disease, Alzheimer and Parkinson are considered mm -hmm. metabolic diseases and they implement intermittent fasting to, to help uh, the brain uh, clear all these proteins accumulated. Yeah, well, and actually, there are also other benefits. I mean, it's anti-cancer. We know that, yeah. and um, it improves your growth hormone production at night, and all this. Yeah. So um, many ways to skin the cat. Intermittent fasting is one of them, um, and uh, you know, ketosis, longer-term ketosis, is another. Now, it's interesting that you you bring up fasting, and I would just clarify something that we talked about earlier. Uh, you know, I've been keto pretty much, I'd say about 80% of the time since 2012. Um, but I'm what's called calorie restricted keto, uh, because of the intermittent fasting and I only eat twice a day. I do not eat ad libitum. So a lot of people who are out there on keto will, are eating ad libitum, uh, larger, large amounts of fat. And I'm not necessarily against that, but, um, it, it took me too long to get into ketosis. So what I wound up doing ironically was, uh, calorie restricted keto. And if you read Dr. Seyfried's book on cancer as a metabolic disease, this is exactly what's protective against uh, neoplastic diseases and metastases in particular. So um, Tom has treated uh, or has been involved in the treatment of several uh, grade four glios that have lived years, not months, which is what they're told now, but years. And the tumors have shrunk. They haven't disappeared, but they've become chronic illnesses that people can live with rather than uh, a death sentence. And you think about the current uh, therapies for these uh, calorie, calorie nutrition, usually with um, uh, some type of carbohydrates, um, also uh, corticosteroids, which imbalance blood sugar, um, all kinds of uh, things that when you look at the metabolic aspect are not necessarily healthy. But uh, so I do it. I do exactly what you do. I do 18-6 and then I just wind up because uh, fat is satiating and increases the leptin on full uh, hormone, uh, excuse me, the ghrelin, um, and you, you eat less. You just eat less. Um, and it is an evolutionarily correct diet, I think. I'm not going to argue if people want to do other types of diets. I, I'm, diet is like religion. I never get into an argument about it anymore because it's just people get very offended, you know, when you start telling them that their diet probably isn't the best. But uh, absolutely, those things. Uh, and you said about stress. Uh, stress in small doses is what's called hormetic. And hormetic has a whole series of gene transcriptions and epigenetics and and hormones, all of which you mentioned, you know, the sex hormones, the growth hormone, uh, and it also shifts epigenetics to anti-inflammatory. And as you know, as you're as well-versed in anti-aging medicine as anybody, um, the older we get under natural, and that means our current situations, which I don't think are natural, but the more of this inflammatory epigenome we transcribe and so we get more inflamed as we get older and you start this vicious cycle and then you get telomere shortening and senescence which is inflammatory as well and uh, then if you have a high carbohydrate diet and let's face it americans are eating 300 500 600 uh, grams of carbohydrate a day Correct. insulin secretion off the wall insulin is a pro-inflammatory growth hormone so it can be actually i think neoplastic if you look at uh, if you look at uh, diabetics and people who have uh, prediabetes, their incidence of cancer is higher. And again, this is a transcription that insulin causes of all these inflammatory chemicals. 
So fixing this with calorie restriction and or ketosis or both is one way. And then eventually we'll get into mTOR. My audience knows about mTOR. So if you want to talk about that, we can. But uh, I'm very curious. Um, you know, you're a bariatric physician now. Tell me some of the more difficult things, because I used to do a lot of weight loss in my practice. What have been the, the, the challenges for you and your patients? In other words, if you could give me the top three things that, that actually prevent patients from being successful, what would you say they are? Absolutely. Number one is the sugar is addictive. It's more addictive than cocaine. And it also, it triggers a, a pleasure um, yeah, reaction. Dopamine. Yes, dopamine. So. This is the big, biggest challenge because, first of all, we live in a society where everything revolves around meal. It comes to parties, it comes to being social, everything, family, everything revolves around the meal. 200 years ago, our parents would go to dance, would, to go for a walk, for a hike. They, or farm. You know, yeah. Yeah. We, their workout outdoors, yeah, their gardens. That was not everything um, revolving around me. So I think number challenge number one I have is breaking the addiction people have. And even once you enter ketosis and do intermittent fasting, your body has less uh, sugar cravings. However, the psychological addiction, it's huge and the temptation, that's number one. So um, this is more of a behavior a modification that we have to work with our patients. Uh, number two is also comes back to the emotional aspect because we, we as children, we learned when we are crying, our mother gave us a bottle of milk and food to calm down. So this is very ingrained into our behavior that food uh, calms us down. So it's, it's another psychological angle of uh, food and the relationship we have with food right so these are really the main challenges i think everybody knows uh, in a frame more or less what they should eat but implementing it and creating the discipline around it's it's the most challenging that i see in uh, our practice um, in that regard i find men much easier than women the same we know when uh, uh, they try to quit smoking, men are more successful than women just because men, when they set their minds to do something, they, they're able to stick to a program more than women do. Well, we do tend to be goal-oriented, that's the young energy. Um, uh, but we are living in a time of the rise of the divine feminine, so uh, uh, all of us, whether our energies are yin or yang, can probably benefit from a little bit of the other side of things. But I'll share with you mine um, from, from my experiences. Um, one of the things was uh, there was a belief in my patients that diets worked, but not for them. And it stemmed from the lack of instant gratification. In other words, I went on a diet for a week and I only lost a pound. You know, now these are back in the days when we didn't really push ketosis. This is a 2000, 2002, three, four. You know, I was a busy internist and the diets were carbohydrate rich, which of course now we look at them and say, oh my God, no wonder people didn't lose weight. But some of the people eventually did with just calorie restriction were able to lose but it took that development of the keyword you said which was discipline around the eating habits and my thing to them was i used to say when you're confronted with a choice of eating something say to yourself not i can't have that but i don't eat that anymore and this is what i do for myself like if someone puts a piece of cake in front of me and i'm on keto uh i don't know oh, i can't i can't have that uh, no, I don't eat that anymore. And that's my choice. I'm choosing not to eat it. And, and this is the sort of empowerment that I tried to in, put my patients into. So one was belief. Diets work, but not for me. The second was, again, discipline. Um, 
there's a certain time, and even in keto, you know, it takes three or four days. The first three or four days of induction of ketosis can be very difficult for people. It can be uh, lots of cravings, lots of psychological stuff comes out. You're detoxing your body and all these emotions come out, people crying, people getting upset. I mean, this is the rare case, but it does happen. Uh, and this happens with spiritual detoxes, emotional detoxes, and of course, physical detoxes. So getting them through that first couple of days to where they experience, uh, hey, I'm not hungry anymore. Uh, and then you get a magical um, epiphany, which is eating is a habit. You know, these three squares of meal, meals a day were actually, this originated in Austria during the industrial age in the 1850s. The Kaiser decided that this is the way to make his workers more productive, three square meals a day. There's no nutritional paradigm for that whatsoever. And yet our nutritionists, our traditionally changed nutritionists, have adopted this type of thing and said three square meals a day and you can't miss breakfast. And I mean, two snacks. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I, I haven't I haven't had breakfast in probably what people would call breakfast in, I don't know, three years. You know, uh, it's not it's not killing me and I'm not unproductive. Uh, so that was that was a, a big thing. And then finally, and this is when I suffered through myself, and that is, uh, you know, once you get that eating is a habit, um, I started missing the texture of things like toast and crackers. And the way I got around that was I found some very low carbohydrate crackers because I'm, I'm wickedly carbohydrate addictive. If somebody gives me like one of these uh, low net carbohydrate bars, that's, you know, three grams net, bull crap. Um, you know, I eat it and 30 minutes later, I'm looking for the sticky buns. Uh, that's not, <laughs> they're not being accurate in how they describe their food. Um, but, you know, uh, certain things like the the wasabrot or um, one out there is called uh, La pan de fleur, which is you know made from nuts, uh, nut crackers, cauliflower crackers, um, and also the cheese. You know where they make the sheets of cheese that are crackers and great high fat source. So that's how I got over that missing that texture. Uh, anyway, those were my big ones that I had to deal with. Uh, you know, and 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 uh, um, you know you hit the you see this every day in your in your practice. You have how many bariatric clinics? Two or three now. I have five clinics, and wow. we have we see six six to eight hundred patients uh, monthly in each. But yes, uh, adding exactly to what you said, we, we are becoming we became grazers for wrong reasons because we don't eat as much food. We actually with this two, uh, snacking every few hours uh, advice, we basically became eating more and being more dependent on food than uh, mm -hmm. uh, we need to be. So. Uh, Definitely grazing is another um, challenge to overcome. But, you know, going back to where we started to that point that um, ketosis and intermittent fasting, actually, they're like complementary. First of all, one is not a diet. Ketosis is more what you eat, but intermittent fasting is a timed uh, pattern of eating. So they go together very well. They do. I mean, I, I do them default and de facto, just exactly what you said, 18.6. At first meal is bigger, second meal I'm not hungry, so it's smaller. Sometimes I forget it and I only meet one meal a day. And uh, when you first met me, I was probably about, I'm going to say I was probably around 210. Um, right now I'm probably about 185. And that's a really good ideal weight for me because it's mostly body fat. I've been able to keep my lean muscle mass because I work out uh, pretty hard. I want to talk to you about what you do soon. Um, but um, this, um, when I walk out in the public now, I feel like I'm a different species. I feel like I'm a child because I'm half the size of men and women, uh, you know, my age or younger. But, you know, I never had a six pack till I went keto. Never. 
uh, I didn't ever think I could. I, I just didn't believe it was possible. And all of a sudden, this youthful, lean body popped out of nowhere, which wasn't the reason I went on it. I went on it because uh, I wanted to see if it would be viable for cancer patients. You know, um, that's a whole other story. I detail that in my book. But uh, the side effect was that, you know, it, it leans you out, gets rid of body fat, and what musculature you do have becomes very, very apparent. So uh, it's not a bad thing aesthetically to, 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 uh, to do these intermittent fastings and, and ketos. Um, you have uh, mentioned your product, Bone Broth. I tried it as soon as I saw it. I saw your picture on the side of it, so I knew I had to have it. Um, and it, I love it. Um, it is very filling. It works perfectly with my keto diet. Sometimes I'll use other high-protein soups, and I'll just mix two of them, so I have maybe a 250, 300-calorie meal. And that's all I need for, you know, 15, 16 hours. Tastes great. And the nutritional content is excellent. Tell us a little bit about that, how you decided to get involved with that. And, you know, how people, so, how do people get your stuff? I know I got it on Amazon, but, you know, your site, my site, we're going to be carrying your stuff, as you know. So. Definitely, you know, it's one of those uh, situations where you create uh, things out of uh, need. So, you know, I was... Uh, you know, operating and running my weight loss clinics. And always I was thinking of different products that I could create a healthier source of proteins. Right now, all the products available are based on wheat protein. And a lot of people are not tolerant to, uh, Gluten, to yeah. wheat product. They get bloated. Plus, a lot of them, they have uh, artificial uh, sweeteners. So we wanted something that could be clean protein, uh, a great amino acid profile. And then uh, one of your children, our grandma, used to make, uh, to take the animal bones, the pork, the cow, and make the soup and make the gelatin that we're eating. Mm -hmm. And just going back to that, I said, you know, I want to recreate the same taste that my grandmother used to uh, cook, cook with a little touch of garlic, a little pepper oh, and flavor. And here comes bone broth. Uh, we, the movement just started a few years ago when I said, that's it. That's what I was looking for. The same one intermittent fasting and uh, ketosis came uh, around. You know, you have a sense for it and said, that's the way to go. That's mm -hmm. where the future is. So it's a great source of protein. We uh, use a grass-fed um, uh, animal product and we uh, we created our own uh, custom flavors we work with flavoring companies they are uh, green listed the whole food approved uh, they have no gmo no soy no uh, artificial mm -hmm. ingredients and um, we wanted to make it uh, convenient so we really um focused on having individual sachets so you can do it on, on the go it's 60 calories a package um, and um, has 10 grams of protein and basically dissolves instantly with uh, hot water and you have a delicious uh, soup on the go. Yeah, it's extremely convenient. A um, couple things I'd point about using it just as a user giving you feedback. Um, the convenience factor is huge for me because um, I do love food and I, I cook and I do all that, but cooking for me is, is like... Um, a vacation a hobby so most times i'm eating because i know i should and i have to and sometimes i forget to eat so uh, i eat to live generally i don't live to eat and for someone who's busy and, and needs a convenient source of satiating protein uh, that tastes good has the nutrition that you need uh, and especially while you're dieting you know it's, it's low calorie but you still have excellent nutrition people need to understand um, adequate 
calories, calorie restriction, but not nutrition restriction. You're not your nutrition is still perfect for maintaining and even you know building body if you if you do um, ultimately uh, you know, start working out. Uh, so there, there's a lot of benefits to this. Uh, Convenience-wise, I actually add usually a tablespoon or so of oil, sometimes uh, a teaspoon of black sesame or a tablespoon of olive, just because I, I like to keep the fat content up. Um, but I've used it on the road. It's very easy to mix. Um, and you have a red label and a green label. Tell us a little bit about those. What's the difference? Well, the, the red label is based on uh, bone broth as a protein source. Also, if you're aware, bone broth comes with collagen. Uh, which is also a type of um, amino acids um, paired together. There are three of them. So the collagen also, it's good for your skin, anti-aging, and benefiting your joints as well. But we had a, uh, quite a few people who are vegan, so then we uh, decided to find a similar product um, for those who don't eat animal products. And we came across pea protein, and it's fascinating because um, we know that... Uh, uh, vegan diets don't have the same amount of protein. I would say if you want to match one-to-one um, -one per 100 grams of uh, uh, meat product versus a veg vegetarian product, the ratio is one to six. So the amount of proteins you have from uh, animal products, it's basically you have to eat six times more from uh, um, vegetables. So, uh, but we came across pea protein, and it's interesting because it's closest to animal protein. It's 80% close in amino acid profile, mm -hmm. and it's the only uh, complete um, plant protein. So it's interesting because it comes from like a very viable alternative for those who uh, who uh, avoid the animal product. Also, the way it is processed, it doesn't uh, create bloating. They remove that protein that uh, triggers a little bit of indigestion. So uh, bloating is out of the picture. Also, the carbs are removed because if you eat beans, uh, we know they are very carb-loaded. Mm -hmm. But the pea protein, uh, as it comes as an extract, um, doesn't have the carbohydrate. So it's basically the um, mirror image, not as superior as bone broth, but it's next online um, for those who are looking for a plant alternative or, you know, as a variety in the daytime. If you don't want to drink uh, three bone broths a day, you could use one and one. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the taste. And um, it's interesting that you talk about that because you got to love those legumes for protein profile. It's a, it's a great choice. Um, there is a thing called uh, vegan keto and vegetarian keto, and I've, I've been on both of those. Um, didn't tell you when we were catching up. I'm now a certified yoga instructor, if you can believe that. Somebody who couldn't touch his toes a year ago. So anyway, uh, I'm learning. But at any rate, uh, during those uh, boot camps and during those re yoga retreats, I requested and was granted the ability to, if I brought the cookbooks and I showed them how to cook, the kitchen staff of these beautiful places in Costa Rica, uh, Rio Chiripo and Finca Mia, would make uh, vegetarian or vegan keto uh, entries and everybody loved them including the vegans and vegetarians because they obviously they weren't going to change their diets and it's traditional in yoga retreats and and places like this um, uh, and boot camps you go vegan you avoid animal animal eating animals for for uh, you know, the religious reasons that are associated with with uh, yoga so it fit perfectly and there's quite a few delicious things you can make so for those of you who are uh, vegan and vegetarian out there or as Lisa said, just want that that change of pace. 
um, it's in there and you can get it. Um, and um, I really enjoy your product. Uh, you know, I, I know you obviously and I'd be happy to support anything you do, but when you have something this good, I can't not do it. So thank you for giving the opportunity to, to, to bring out this to, to my audience and get them to understand, you know, so I make ketogen, the, the beta-hydroxybutyrate. I have a, a cookbook coming out called The Keto Edge. And, you know, your information is adding to the knowledge base um, for, for my folks. Um, and I'm going to ask you just, I think, you know, as we anticipated, we're not having any trouble talking. Um, but um, there's a couple things I definitely want to cover. Um, um, first, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the anti-aging aspects of this, because that's always what I'm about at the center of the core of everything that I do whether it's you know keto uh, cookbooks wh whatever it is uh, the type of physical fitness that I that I'm chasing after right now all these things are in my opinion anti-aging so you mentioned it we talked about it obviously anything that keeps you alive longer is anti-aging so if you don't die of cancer or heart disease oh I want to real quick tell you um when I when I was uh two years into keto the last test I did and you tell me this as a cardiologist, uh, the last test I did was the NMR of the lipids and cholesterol profile. And I was kind of scared because I was eating 70% fat, you know, maybe, maybe uh, 20, 25% protein and, and almost no carbs. And there's a lot of fat, you know, cream cheese and, and bacon and, and oh boy, but I, I needed to know. So I went and I, I did the NMR. And um, ironically, one of my, 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 my physician who I almost never see is one of my students, is one of my residents. Um, so when he took over my practice, I decided I would go see him. And I came in with a cholesterol of 201. And my father had heart disease later in his life. And, and my, my doctor wanted to put me on a, a statin. And I said, would you look at the profile, please? So my LDL was 70. It was all light fluffy. My HDL was 101. It was all light fluffy. My triglycerides were 50. Um, and, um, you know, the bulk of the cholesterol was HDL cholesterol. Um, and he wanted to put me on a statin. So, um, just for those of you out there who are afraid of eating fat because you think it's going to, you're still living under the myth, uh, of, uh, that fats, uh, saturated fats, even saturated fats are not necessarily associated with elevated cholesterol levels. But when you add carbohydrates to the fat content, you have an issue. Your take on all that. What do you think? What have you seen? Uh, definitely. By the way, congrats for your uh, HDL. Uh, yeah. Sounds like fabulous numbers. You've been doing a great job there. Yeah. Uh, you're right. A few years ago, actually, we totally changed the uh, dietary guidelines when even the head of the American College of Cardiology stepped up and said, we're so wrong about eggs. You're wrong about meat. It's in all reality, 80% of cholesterol that we make in our body comes from our liver. So mm -hmm. it's like it's only 20% is influenced by our diet. So I think we overemphasize in the past our diets when at the end it's whatever your genes are, whatever your liver makes when it comes to cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying there are a small fraction of people where diets do uh, tip the balance toward more cholesterol So because those have uh, worse genes than the others. Uh, but for those people, regular people, we actually kind of uh, took the meat and the fats out of the jail, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. we, uh, we, we don't say anymore you cannot eat eggs um, in, in moderation. You can have red meat and eggs and uh, saturated fat. However, the recommendations are still that you should stay in less than 10%. But mm -hmm. um, if you really put those numbers in, uh, in the kitchen, you have plenty of room. 
Yeah, the other thing I would suggest, and again, you're far more versed on, on up-to-date on the literature for diets and cardiology than I am, but um, I haven't seen a whole lot of information on hardcore keto diets uh, long-term in you know metabolic profiles or on heart disease risk. I'm not sure that there's anything out there that, that would say yes or no there. Um, and the reason I say that is my, my numbers before all this well, I was running about 250, total cholesterol, HDL about 45, LDL about 180, 190. Uh, my triglycerides are always low because of the fish oil. Um, but that was a sort of typical, quote-unquote, healthy diet with lots of you know carbohydrates and cream of wheat and oatmeal and fruits. Um, so for me personally, I found that by removing carbohydrates, it actually changed my metabolic profile completely. And again, if you superimpose this on fasting... Um, the whole saturated fat story, if you look at tribes that, and they still are out there with some of the Inuit and some of the other tribes that hunt for their food, um, they carry saturated fat in their sachets and pouches because it's their sole source, high calorie source. Uh, this is like um, pemmican is an example. Um, and if you don't add a lot of fruit to pemmican, it's basically bacon fat or meat fat. And they're out there for two weeks hunting, so they're physically active. They're actually intermittently fasting, and they're getting their calorie source from saturated fat because the, the unsaturated fats, as you know, will go rancid, you know, polyunsaturated. As a fish oil guy, I know this. I have to coat my fish oil in airtight gel caps and, and you know, do the KOH testing and, and peroxidase levels and all that other stuff for shelf life. Uh, very, very scrupulously looking at, you know, what's, what's happening to these um, polyunsaturated fats. But... Uh, it's good to hear that, that um, and I saw that, I saw that the American College of Cardiology has, has um, you know, uh, changed their tune. Relaxed and, again, let's see. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's, that's wonderful. But, so. uh, you know, Dave, how it started, you know, if you look historically, all this low-fat movement was wrong. It started in 1940s in Europe, and then um, somehow they had some studies of association with heart disease and high cholesterol, high fat diets, but they're not founded. They removed countries like France who were eating cheese and drinking wine all the time. So those countries are not included. So their data was very biased when you look at you now in retrospect. And in the 70s, uh, this movement came with low fat. And because if you remove the fat, food has no taste. It's like cardboard. Then it got replaced with carbohydrates. And here we have, in the last 50 years, we have an obesity epidemic, we have more diabetes, we, we see disease in children that we haven't seen before. And finally, we realized we made a huge mistake in the 70s and 80s to mm -hmm. promote uh, carbohydrates. Now yeah. we're going in reversal mode and we, we definitely, there are a lot of trials out there that show that improved metabolic profile of keto diet. But also what's interesting, if you do compare two weight loss programs side by side, one is low fat, one it's low um, uh, carbohydrates, even people lose the same amount of weight, although um, they, they might lose a little bit more on the keto, they lose more visceral fat with uh, keto diets. So yep. that With means the, it has a better, it's yeah. less inflammation in the body and it, it has a better uh, way of you process the fat and you burn the bad fat because visceral fat is bad fat, it's very pro-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And keto is much better with that. Uh, also, of course, we know you improve your insulin resistance and it's like opening the gates for... Um, Using that storage, when you are on a high-carb diet, the gates are locked because insulin is pushing the fat into the storage, mm -hmm. period. And uh, when you reverse that process, you 
you are much uh, flexible to outsource uh, that fat as a source of energy. Mm-hmm. We talked about detoxing. Uh, fat is a great place to store things like xenohormones and, and other toxins in your system that you come a- across. And that's a whole other topic we could get into. But there, there's plenty of toxins that we eat, plenty of toxins that we breathe, and plenty of toxins that we put on our skin. Um, which is why when I showed you the essential oils, these are all purely organic you know, essential oils. But at any rate, um, the detoxification process is multiple levels. It works uh, through um, fat removal. It works at a metabolic level. Um, and very briefly, um, you know, your take on the anti-aging aspects of, of the keto diet. Absolutely. There are many studies that show, and mostly in animals, and uh, uh, we know from um, Japanese, the Okinawa diet, they, leave, uh, they have the highest longevity on, uh, um, on Earth. We know that they eat high-fat, um, high-protein diets, and that's what it explains. So it's similar keto in a way uh, mm-hmm. to what we do, but uh, definitely we know that... Uh, People who cut their uh, caloric intake to 80% or less live longer. So that's that's not a question anymore. Yeah. On a cellular level, um, I'm going to just talk a little bit because my audience knows this. They've been reading my stuff forever. But um, there's a, a very famous, it's now famous, hormone or I should say complex of enzymes. It's a complex called mTOR, which stands for the mammalian target of rapamycin, and this was identified as the longevity thing. Um, It's probably much more of a metabolic gate guardian than it is a true longevity thing. There are probably other things that happen. Um, But what happens when you inhibit this? Well, first of all, what happens when you turn it up? And you turn it up through things like excess growth hormone, you turn it up excess insulin. And what it does is it, it... essentially accelerates fat storage, inflammation, the way you you said. And, of course, we mentioned about inflammation being something that we combat because there's this concept of inflammaging, inflammatory aging. So the less uh, of this sort of slow cyclic um, inflammation that we have as we age, the more likely we are to age gracefully, live longer, and have a healthy diet. And that's all tarred to this hormone of mTOR. Uh, and, and insulin is part of that complex as well. And uh, one of the other things that happens is you get um, recycling. So the cell itself, and we're made of trillions of these things, um, has within it the ability to repair to a certain extent some of the machinery that's inside of it. And it also has the ability to recycle things. So when you talk about amino acids and amino acid profile of your bone broth, um, there's uh, 21 amino acids and there's nine essential ones. Um, so the nine essential ones you have to get for your diet. It's a lot like uh, fish oil. You have two major, well, you, you do have two major essential fatty acids, linolenic and linoleic, but uh, I say EPA and DHA just because that's what your body converts them to. And these things cannot be gotten through, through the diet, um, but the cell can conserve everything else. And it can even conserve the, the mitochondrial machinery, the powerhouses in the cell. It can recycle those, it can use the enzymes, and it can use the protein structures out of those. It can recycle um, uh, a lot of the other material that comes out of, out of the, what's called the endoplasmic reticulum. Um, and if, if the cell itself dies and can't recycle them, the rest of the immune system charges in and, and recycles these things. And at the very last is food. You know, if it can't use it for anything else, it turns it into calories. So um, 
this recycling, this uh, recycling, especially the mitochondria, getting rid of sick, dead, and dying mitochondria, and uh, it's called mitophagy. And uh, uh, there's a, uh, a proliferation of mitochondrial, healthy new mitochondria that happens when you go keto or you intermittent fast. And in the process, also there's uh, what's called liposomal excretion of things like lipos uh, uh, lipofusion granules and all kinds of other things. So these are this is the taking out the trash part of things. Uh, and this is all due to diet. And, you know, we didn't know this when you and I were in, were in med school. We didn't know any of that. Um, so this is uh, semi-cutting edge stuff. And uh, when you look at longevity, I can tell you, that when people tell me, okay, doc, one sentence, tell me what I need to do to live a longer, healthier life. I say, reduce your calories and manage your insulin levels. And that's it. Because I would add exercise and sleep. <laughs> well, that I would love to see them all do that. Yeah, I, I do talk about that, but I mean, when I'm given you know, that one like to really peel ourselves health. Yeah, the nutrition, father, exercise, yeah, and sleep. Seven yeah. of them, but yeah, and and sleep, of course, is, is radical, and of course, your nutrition, but um, and exercise and meditation, and and you know, quite a few others we talk about in in the the lovely book, the the immortality edge, way back in 2010. But um, the this is uh. The, the anti-aging aspects of the keto diet are just beginning to come out. Uh, but, you know, what we talked about today, um, you know, changing the uh, epigenetic expression, uh, reversing the inflammatory uh, epigenome, uh, improving insulin, uh, taking out the trash, recycling cells, preserving telomere length. All this, I guarantee you, if anybody bothers to look, they'll see it in a keto diet. So um, it may not be the only way. There may be other diets that do this. Um, and thank you also for pointing out the whole bias thing of, of uh, medical literature, because um, whenever I see the word meta-analysis, I'm always skeptical because garbage in, garbage out. You can pick any set of studies you want uh, and you can come out, you know, feed it a bunch of negative studies and get a negative result. So I still like to see good old fashioned, hardcore, expensive clinical research. Uh, not as popular as it used to be, but uh, uh, I'm not a big fan of meta-analysis unless the data is is representative of everything that's going on out there. So I have a, now as a personal part, I promised, I promised folks, to, you know, our, our world-class, world-famous cardiologist, bariatric physician that we have on today, um, who is incredibly fit. And uh, I, I don't even know how old you are, Lisa, but I, you still look to me like you're in your early 30s. So uh, You're right there. Let's, yeah, keep it. <laughs> no, Let's keep it there. Yeah, exactly. Good place to stay, right? Yeah. But, um, I'd like to, if you would share, you know, like what might be a typical day eating wise and then fitness wise, what do you like to do fitness wise? Because you've always been very um, pragmatic about both your eating and your fitness. You're not crazy like me and go out and run ultra marathons and, you know, do that kind of crazy stuff. Um, but you have a very pragmatic approach and it's clearly served you well. Yes. Yeah, I do believe in balance. So I'm like you. I stopped having breakfast a while back. Um, I do believe more in brunch. I think breakfast is overrated. Uh, so I, I moved the concept to brunch, which I start around 11 o'clock. I have a coffee in the morning. I have my bone broth around 10, 11. Mm -hmm. And I do like to exercise also. If I do some cardio, I like to do it on fasting. I think it's more efficient. It's increasing your growth hormone more. Uh, there are more benefits to that. 
then as I go with my day, I make sure I, I believe in a new movement. I mean, yes, it's keto, but I like, as you said, uh, fiber keto. I, I believe in fibers, in greens. Um, so I, I try to load as much as I can with fibers throughout the day and finish eating around 6, 7 p.m. And that's pretty much it. For exercise, when it comes to the, you know, there are two types. You have the cardio and you have resistance training. For me, resistance training, so I like uh, short, uh, intense bursts of exercise, like I do half an hour, um, more like high interval training, like you, you exercise for one minute intense and then yeah. you take yeah. a break for 30 seconds. So th I'm sure you stick to a similar regimen we spoke sure. many times in the past. Sure. Mm. Well, I think the, I, I want to point something out is a lot of people have the impression that when you go keto and you eat all this fat, you can't eat green vegetables or vegetables. And that's absolutely not true. I mean, vegetables um, have very uh, low fat. And I was never a big fan of excessive vegetarian or vegan diets because the omega-3, omega-6 ratios are screwed up. But um, you can eat vegetables. Uh, you know, the, the amount of fat in vegetables is, is small. But the amount of carbs in vegetables is, is usually even smaller. So, I mean, you can pretty much add libidum on the vegetables and fiber uh, without affecting negatively your, your ketosis at all. Uh, and they are very, very filling, which is wonderful. Um, any, any other tips for folks who are... Um, anything that you struggled with when you, when you did this, you personally? I told you about I had to have a cracker. <laughs> so. Well, I have many challenges. We, we share that, but I guess it's part of being uh, normal sometimes. See, as you said, you shared honestly, you're in keto 80% of the time. Yeah. And I would put myself down if I was less than 90%. But I think it's normal. And actually, this is another concept we can uh, bring into discussion next time if... Uh, for some folks who can't do keto 100%, and as a matter of fact, neither of us can do that, if there is some role for um, keto, non-keto cycling, like a little bit, not really carb cycling, but just having days when you don't have to be in keto. Yeah, I go low carb when I, when I you know, I, I don't, you know, keto under 50 grams, low carb under 100 grams and again 80 percent of the time it's keto so right, right. But I, I tend to do it more um uh you know where i'll be keto for months at a time and then i'll, I'll just miss a cracker or something or, or it's christmas and somebody gives me a cookie and then the the, the floodgates are open so you know. that's you can have carbs from uh, fruits and vegetables so you don't necessarily have to resort to candies or or ice cream Right. Um, you still can have, you know, fruits that are, have a little bit more um, carbohydrates like, um, mm -hmm. you know, apples, grapes, you know, things like that. And a lot of berries still. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they still have, they have less than 15 grams per yeah, portion. It's, it's have, manageable. So. Yeah. I, it's I manageable. Yeah. So, and that's a very good point. It really comes down to food choices. Uh, and as I said, I'm wickedly, uh, carbohydrate or sugar addicted it comes from my 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 growing up when when i was a little boy my mom was afraid i wasn't eating enough and kellogg's used to make this cereal called concentrated it came in a box that was half the size of a regular cereal and i used to eat like half a box of it and then put two tablespoons of sugar on top of it and i swear that's where i got addicted you know and my mom used to say good boy good boy and of course i was a chubby little kid and a year or two later 
but uh, you know these 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 sort of original patterns that are ingrained in our childlike behaviors, you know, or from our parents, are something we, we struggle with. But it's food choice, and and then just uh, you know less and less discipline. The longer you make this a lifestyle, the less discipline you need, and the more fun and easy it gets, and the more benefits you start seeing both in your metabolic numbers and your physique and how you feel. So. Um, this has been enlightening and it's been an absolute blast. Thank you and appreciation for everything that you are, who you are. And uh, if you want to see a gorgeous woman and an amazingly brilliant woman, go visit Lisa on any one of her sites. How about your websites, Lisa? Would you tell us what they um, are? Sure. The, the brof, uh, Bone Brof one, it's uh, called www.bonebrof. Uh, I'm sorry, brofbydesign.com. Mm-hmm. So b r o t h uh, by design dot com and my website it's Lisa l u i z a t t r e m d dot com. Okay, and uh, just for uh, everyone, I'll also be selling this on the Longevity Edge t h e l o n g e v i t y e d g e dot com. Um, I'll be selling Lisa's products, and uh, Lisa will be sending them to you, so you'll be able to uh, benefit. From this amazing thing that was created out of uh, a combination of brilliance and necessity, thank you for the creation. You've always been a creative person, just like me, and I, I love it. And thank you for the information. Let's do this again soon, shall we? Oh, I could talk to you for hours. It's always lovely to me catch too. up. Always a pleasure. So, uh, take I'm care. Gonna... Thanks a lot.